We hope the series is uh, going to be uh, not only a reminder of the whole story of Christmas for you, but my prayer is that it will encourage us in our understanding of how God is working in our lives and how God still is working in this world. And so I hope that uh, I hope that you'll be prayerful about this each week. Now, uh, some of you who are extremely detail oriented will understand that the last week of Advent goes past the crisp Christmas Day. Has anybody noticed that? Don't worry about it. It's okay. There's something called a cantata that we had to work in there. And if we put the cantata too far in advance of Christmas, it's almost Thanksgiving time. And so uh, you can deal with that. It'll be okay. You just ask the Lord to help you with your anxiety. And it'll all, it'll all work. No one has complained, but I just, know, I just know people. You're out there somewhere. I know. So we have two scripture passages to look at this morning where we're going to see a point-counterpoint. Point-counterpoint. There used to be a, a show on TV was kind of point-counterpoint, and it's been a long time ago, and I'll date myself if I called the names, and I can't remember them anyway. But it's your, you're, you're giving a point of view, and then someone is kind of uh, giving an opposite point of view to that point of view. So we're going to look at two scriptures that have a point-counterpoint message in them, and uh, I want us to read them, and then I'll point out what those two, two uh, issues are. The first passage is pulled from the story of the angels speaking to Mary, the earthly mother of Jesus, telling Mary that she's going to have a baby. So let's read it. It's Luke chapter 1 and verses 30 to 33. So I'm going to read it out loud for you. The angel said to Mary, to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Now, those underlines and the bold type that you see on the screen, it's not in there. I just add that in there for emphasis. But look at that. The throne, he will reign, and the word kingdom. This passage is just one among many passages uh, in the scriptures this morning that we could turn to that emphasize this fact that Jesus is a king. Jesus is a king. Uh, we sang about it in some of the lyrics of, of the songs, the worship songs this morning. Jesus is a king. And that is, in fact, one of the ways that the people have thought about Jesus. In other words, looking at Jesus in one direction. What direction? As a king. The scripture says that he is, in fact, a king. And so the children of Israel began looking for Jesus as, in this direction, as a king. Nothing wrong with that. We might call that looking in one direction as a king. One direction as a king. But it turns out that there's another role besides being a king that Jesus is working out in history. And so I want, to, I want us to read it, and, and I'll show it to you, and, I, and I'll talk to you about what, what I think it means. This passage is taken from uh, the letter of Paul, the Apostle Paul, to uh, the Philippian church, one of his favorite churches. We're almost finished studying that in a series on Sunday mornings. Once we finish, uh, are, are concluded with our Advent season, 
uh, we'll try to conclude with chapter 4, the last chapter in that letter that Paul wrote to his, to his church there in Philippi. And so here's what he says, Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. Now follow this. Remember, the first verse saw him looking, looking in one direction as a king. Let's look at this one. Therefore, Paul says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves." Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Now notice this verse. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All right, now that's looking in a different direction at Jesus. What is that direction? In this passage that God has preserved for us, it's important for us, it seems pretty clear that Jesus was described by one of the best Jesus followers that ever lived, the Apostle Paul, as a bond servant, emphasis upon servant. That's looking at Jesus from a completely different direction. First scriptures was about as a king, which he is. The second passage is as a servant, which he is. So he describes Jesus as one who was in verse 7, a servant to others. If you've got your scriptures out there, you'll see that. He's a servant of others, a bond servant, verse 7. In verse 6, he did not seek equality with God. He is God. He, he, he always was God. He, he always was with God. God. It was God the Father's pleasure for Jesus to play the role of creating all of this. But he did not seek equality with God. In other words, that's not the one thing that he was really pushing hard for us to see. Also in verse 7, uh, he describes Jesus as one who used himself up. He used himself up. It's like taking your wallet, and if we looked at money, it's like using, using all the money, using all of the energy, using all of the breath that we have, using all of the labor that we can produce, using all of the love that we can muster up, using all of the opportunities that we see before us to, to serve and minister to others, He used himself up for the benefit of himself? No, for the benefit of others. And then in verse 8, he's described as one who was humble and even died 
in a humiliating way. So the other role Jesus is working out in history is not just as a king, but that as a servant. And I think that's helpful for us as we move into this first Sunday of Advent to to contrast these two roles. A suffering servant at that. I just really appreciated someone gave us a gift uh, this week. I was just looking it over this morning, and it's the calendar from Voice of the Martyrs. And for every month, there's a beautiful picture, and, and it depicts, in fact, the, probably the one, as I, as I looked through the calendar, looked all the way through, and the one that stood out to me the most this morning, and every day there's something to pray about, but was a picture of about, I don't know, 20 maybe children. They were all lined up against the wall. And so this is a picture. Every one of these children has lost at least one parent as a result of being martyred because they loved Jesus Christ. And I looked at those children and I thought, oh Lord, how he must love them in such a precious way. You know, teaching to today, I, I just scratched this out, and I don't want to go off on a tangent, and this is not a criticism, but it's a careful, careful thought that teaching in the church, teaching in whether it's a class or a small group or the pre- preaching, preaching and teaching that does not include the suffering that goes with Christ is operating only on the kingly role. What can the king do for me? How can the king protect me better? Uh, how can the king make the economy better? How can the king uh, uh, increase my wages? How can the king help my retirement? How can the king help with the rules by which people can order me around at work and not treat me fairly? And what can the king do for me? But a teaching that does not talk about the giving away, the emptying of self, the suffering that goes along with serving Christ because we are to be like him. And this other looking at Christ in a different direction is one of suffering and service. And he did it by personal example, which is what a precious thing for us to think about. You know, it can't get much lower than dying in, in humiliation on a tree, an ugly tree, uh, stationed between two, two scandalous people. So we see our first point counterpoint in the way that the world has looked at Jesus. Point counterpoint, point king, counterpoint servant. So, Advent number one, looking for a king, finding a servant. Looking for a king, finding a servant. Looking in the wrong direction. Most people the world over have seen the picture of wise men following a star in search of, in search of a king. I don't know if we can get that picture up there. Can we put that one up there? Uh, we've all seen that. And um, there's a lot, of, a lot of books have been written. And there are a lot of uh, thoughts and ideas about those wise men. First of all, it doesn't say there were three. Uh, secondly, it doesn't say that he was a tiny baby when they showed up. It doesn't say those things. But history has a way of kind of having a narrative or whatever. So we kind of leave it. It's, the, you know, it's not a big deal to have to slice it and dice it. Because the scripture didn't tell us everything we might like to know about those wise men. But we get that narrative from one of the places is from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Let me read it for you. (coughs) Excuse me. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, 
Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, who were they talking to? Herod. I mean, Herod calls them in. They said, what? You, you said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Don't you imagine a Herod choked on his coffee that morning? <coughs> did you say king? Uh, why did he choke? Because I'm the king. What do you mean, king of the Jews? I, I'm the king of all of this. And so it, it created a tremendous problem. And a lot of people, a lot of little children lost their lives as a result of that. But this was a tremendous thing these wise men were, were searching out. Uh, they're called magi. Uh, it's a word taken from the word that means a magician. Uh, in that day, they would likely have been called astrologers or those who studied the nighttime skies and watched the movements of all of the planets and the stars and all of that. The point being, uh, not that we know everything about them, but they likely would have been aware of anything unusual in the night skies. And when they noticed a particularly bright star shining, they decided to follow it. Now, here's a question you might be asking yourself. Why would they do that? So what? Why would they follow a star? Well, Bible scholars tell us that these men were in all likelihood aware of Hebrew prophecies about a coming leader, a leader who would be sent by this Hebrew God called Jehovah to lead the people. And it's, it's likely that they were aware of some of the prophecies like we can even read in our own Bible in the book of Numbers. That's your favorite book to read through, huh? Amen? Numbers? But in Numbers chapter 24, I'm just taking a little snippet out of this, but listen to what it says. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Now, doesn't that sound interesting? Like uh, a king might be coming and uh, we might find him as a result of a bright star shining in the sky. Well, these guys studied the skies and so they saw this and noticed it. And so when they saw the star, they followed, probably thinking this may be the king that the children of Israel have been looking for. And some scholars even believe that um, some of the wise men, maybe all of them, uh, maybe none of them, we're not told for sure, but it's highly likely that some of these wise men may have actually been believers in Jehovah God and may have been really paying close attention to the writings and studied it hard because they believed in the God of the children of Israel. So the Israelites, children of Israel, have been waiting for generations for these prophecies of old to come true. And then the Messiah comes to set up his kingdom. And then when he sets up his kingdom, hopefully... Some of the things they wanted him to do was set him free. Set him free from the tyranny of Rome or whoever in the past had overrun the the children of Israel and given them a hard time. So they're saying Messiah, the deliverer, the one who will come from God, he'll set up his kingdom. And boy, when he gets set up as king, he's going to rule with authority because uh, he was sent by God. And he was set to, sent to set us free. And he would rule with authority. And he would rule with peace in mind. And this would make our lives so much better. So they're looking in this direction for a Messiah. Now let me give you some information about Messiah. And I realize this is kind of Sunday school information for some of you of old. But it's good, good to, to do it by way of review as we head into Advent season. Messiah is the Hebrew word for Anointed one. 
It's the Hebrew word for anointed one. Anointed one in the Greek is the word Christ. So, when the Bible talks about Messiah, it means Christ. So when you're reading through the scriptures and you see Messiah, it means Christ. They both mean anointed one. One is Hebrew, the other is Greek. But it's all about the anointed one, Christ. But what do the wise men find when they finally show up? Well, they find a baby if they got there early. Uh, They found maybe a toddler if they got there later in time. We don't know for sure. If they found him as a baby, uh, he doesn't even have a bassinet. (laughs) They're not even in a red roof inn, let alone a Marriott. You know, last night we had a great time. We were invited to one of our Sunday school class Christmas parties. And uh, it, was, it was really lots of fun. Uh, there must have been, I don't know, close to 40 people there. Just really great. And they have a little gift exchange and all that sort of thing. And, and I was tempted to bring a prop this morning, but it, it, it was so bad I couldn't, I couldn't do it. But So my wife uh, gets this gift, and it's a beautiful candle table arrangement kind of a thing. It just She liked it. And so uh, she was kind of tucking it away, keeping it at her feet so that, you know, the next people can, can come and take that. And then you give them the gift that you have. So you can trade and you can take it from people if you want to. And so uh, she was hoping that, you know, she'd be able to go home with that. In fact, we, we probably drove to the party thinking maybe looking in one direction, you know. We were looking in one direction. We, we might bring something of value back to our house. Maybe. We were looking in that direction. You want to know what happened? So not only did someone come and took her precious little candle arrangement and table arrangement, whatever, but they gave her a gift. And she reaches in the bag and pulls out a skinny, scrawny rubber chicken. I mean, it was pathetic looking. We took that home, and I said, I said, honey, what do you think Max the dog will do with that chicken? And so we threw it down on the floor, and he went over, and he sniffed it. And you know, normally he tears into anything that he gets thrown out like that. It's like that's his gift, his toy from the, you know, his rawhide treat and whatever it is. You know how they work. And he looked at that, and he sniffed it a little bit, and he knew it, he knew it, it was probably supposed to belong to him, even though it didn't. And so he put it in his mouth and he picked it up and he carried it over and sat down and looked at it and kind of sniffed and licked it and like, what am I supposed to do with this? This like smells like rubber or something. I don't know. I mean, it was an ugly, ugly chicken. Now, if we ever thought for one moment looking in one direction, we were going to bring something home of great value. uh, That did not happen. Let's just say we were thinking about the gift exchange in the wrong direction. What are some of the ways that people today can wait for Jesus in the wrong direction? Are there some ways that we could be waiting in the wrong direction? Well, here's some just, this is just food for thought. This is not about any particular thing that, that the Holy Spirit has put his finger on and told me, you need to talk about this. 
But it's hopefully promptings that help us uh, think about across the board, people that we live beside, people that we work with, people that we worship together with, people that, we, uh, that we're in family with, people that we're in friendships with. So here's several just thoughts for you to just be patient with me for a moment if I can just run down these thoughts. And may, there may be one of these that just sparks something special for you for this first Sunday in Advent. We can be, uh, while we're waiting in the wrong direction, if we're in the wrong direction, we could be over-focused upon our career thinking and thinking that somehow in developing and magnifying and working hard on career development, that that's the best way to love my family, while at the same time, the, the, the commitment to developing the career is taking us away from the time that our family actually needs from us. Can you catch that? Does that make sense? That it's not a bad thing to work hard and to commit and give time to a career, but if in the process of doing that we're so overloaded on that that we don't pay attention to the needs of a spouse or the needs of a child or whatever, uh, we can look back one day and say, I was doing that in the wrong direction. It wasn't that it was sinful, but I, I wasn't thinking clearly about that. Or here's one. While we're waiting for Christ to come, we could be over-focused upon some of our hobbies, or traveling to see the world, and there's not a thing wrong with hobbies, and there's not a thing wrong with looking at God's beautiful earth that Jesus created. But we could spend so much, and I know people, I know people who spend so much time on some of those kinds of things that oftentimes it seems like they neglect some of the important things that God would want for them. They're not bad people. They're not necessarily in any kind of sin. It's just not it's like thinking about it in the wrong direction, in the wrong way. Here's another thought. We can be so focused on uh, our own lives that we literally ignore and demean people of lesser statue, stature in our own eyes. I'm reminded of a story of, that, I, that I heard about uh, a, a scholar. He's gone to be with the Lord now, not too long ago, uh, R.C. Sproul. He tells this story about how he was doing some ministry one time in a hospital. And he said, I w- as I was sitting in this hallway, he said, I was able for a, a significant period of time to watch people coming and going. And he said, I watched, I watched a, a nurse, a particular nurse, as she was walking down the hallway. And she came, the, there, was a, there was a doctor who was coming uh, toward her. And he said, I could see her countenance and I could see her face. And he said, when she saw that doctor and that doctor looked at her, she lit up like a Christmas tree. And she said, oh, hi, doctor, so-and-so, whatever, and you really put the jazz on. You know what I'm talking about? This is a doctor. This is a, this is a popular doctor. Everybody likes to work for this doctor. And, you know, he's a nice doctor, and we think that he's, you know, just got a good uh, reputation and whatever. And, and then he said, that same nurse, at, while he sat there and was watching, Later on, that same nurse was walking down that same hallway, and coming toward her was one of the hospital custodial staff. And he said, I I noticed strangely, the custodian was looking in her face, and when she saw who it was, she didn't even acknowledge him. People do stuff like that. And 
God help us if Christians do that, because that's, that's kind of waiting in the wrong direction for Jesus. When you say, can I get an amen on that? We need to be careful. Listen, we can do that in the foyer of this church. We can do that in your Sunday school class or in your small group. We can do this, that at coming back and forth. We've got different agencies here. We've got a counseling center, and sometimes they come back and forth to pick up things from the office or whatever. We've got a school all the way through 12th grade and a whole staff there, and we crisscross and run into each other from time to time. And if we're not careful, we can make some kind of a judgment call and say, you know, I don't know if you're quite up there where I am, so to speak, or I don't even know who you are, and I don't even care. And we can, we, you know, God forbid, that's looking for Jesus in the wrong direction. I know people, and so do you, who think they don't need God. By the sweat of their own brow, they think they can navigate the months and years of their lives on earth, so they don't need God as a crutch to lean on. So what do they do? Well, they pull themselves up by the bootstrap, so to speak. They wait for death to come, as it always does. Death always comes, but they have waited in the wrong direction. And they end up dying without a Savior. There's no Savior. So they were waiting in the wrong direction. I know people, and so do you, who think that the quality of the friends they keep doesn't matter that much. Only to find out that ungodly friends can influence us to become less than God designed us to be. They can wear you down. That's thinking, leaning in the wrong direction. I know people, and so do you, who think if they get married to a person that they care about, but a person who has no hunger for God, that this person will eventually yearn for God. So go ahead and get married. Let me say this. This rarely works out. Occasionally, but not often. That's looking toward marriage in the wrong direction. I know people, and so do you, who are waiting for the culture to decide what is acceptable in the Bible to believe or not, regardless of what the Bible actually says. They're willing to to look in this direction. Let the culture tell us what is true and reliable about the Bible and what the Bible means. Let the culture tell us that instead of me sitting down with the help of the Holy Spirit in me and reading it for myself and discerning what is God saying about these various issues. But instead, there are people looking in the wrong direction while we're waiting, and they're taking the culture's definition of how much life matters, the value of life, human life, or gender issues, Gender issues. Let the culture decide that. Or what makes a what constitutes a real and balanced marriage? How should it really be? How should it work? Or um, other hot topic issues that we could name this morning. Looking, waiting, waiting in the wrong direction about God's word and what it really says. Some people are waiting for Christ, and they're waiting with a, uh, I have to have my way in almost everything I do in life. They're waiting with that view in mind. My way under the Christmas tree, that's what I want under the Christmas tree. 
It's my way. It's what I want. My way in the marriage. My way at church. My way at work. My way on the team. My way in the meeting. My way, my way, my way, or the highway for you and anybody else who dares to challenge my way. And so I think, you know, it's possible for us to be waiting for Christ, or if they don't even know they're waiting for Christ, but waiting for something that they are waiting with these foolish notions in mind. This Advent season, let's give some consideration to stepping outside of our routine rhythms. You know, we, ha- we all have routine rhythms. There's stu- you know, there's stuff you normally do on Sunday. When church is out, there's stuff you generally do. For some of you, it's a, quote, Wesleyan nap, okay? For some of you, it's go out to eat and drive around and see the beauty, you know. For others, it's visit some family and friends. For others, it's go to the library and study and finish a paper, right, Pastor Jared? Whatever. These guys working near the end, or Brad, they're all, they're all kind of, they got that nervous twitch this morning. It's like, I don't know if I'm going to make it, and I need an A in this class, and oh, But we have these natural rhythms, and perhaps God is saying during this Advent season, could we not just take a look, step outside ourselves and take a look at our rhythms and the things that we do, the things that we often don't do, and um, take a look at God's desires for our lives? We serve a coming king, and that is so true. Looking in this direction as a king, we absolutely serve a coming king. But our coming king taught us to be humble. And he taught us to be willing to bear the burdens of those who are less fortunate. That's the serving part of looking at Jesus in the right way. I was, uh, I was one of those less fortunate ones at one point in my life. I was less fortunate because there was a point in my life when I did not have a personal savior. I did not realize at the time how needy I was. And needy because I was a sinful person. I was a sinner. I was waiting for Jesus to come one day. Why was I waiting for him? Because my mom and dad were Christians, and my dad was a pastor, and I was in church just like little Naomi just all my life, and I was taught by Sunday school teachers, and I was taught by pastors and leaders, and my mother and my father. Uh, Every day of my life, I was taught Jesus is coming again. And so I was waiting for Jesus to come one day. I fully believed in that. But I did not know him in a personal way. I did not understand that from the beginning of time, that the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, the Anointed One, God the Holy Spirit. Are they three? No, they're one. They're one. That from the beginning of time, these three had agreed upon the Father's plan to make, now listen carefully, to make an imputation available to the world. Would you say that word with me? Imputation. Imputation. One more time. Imputation. 
imputation. What does imputation mean? We don't, we don't use that word very much. This is a word of doctrine. It, it, it speaks of, of, of what the scriptures say about, uh, about God. Imputation, if we put the definition up on the screen, it's just an, a, a definition. Imputation, the act of imputing or ascribing or attribution. Or secondly, there's something imputed, ascribed, or attributed. It means, what does it mean? It means that our Father... In, now, care, carefully, take a deep breath, because I'm just about finished here. I've only got... I got one more page. I got, no, only, yeah, only one more page. We're done. This is important right here. This is really important. It means, imputation, it means that our Father in heaven, by an act of his will and his plan for mankind, has looked at the sin in my life, which requires death, and separation from God. That's what the Bible says. It means that my sin, my judgment because of sin, the judgment of God upon me because of my sin, my coming hell, which the Bible says sinners are bound for a place called hell that God has made for those who have rejected Christ, His Son, who have rejected the pathway by which people can avoid judgment and that. It means that my sin, my judgment, my coming hell for how I've lived, it means that all of the garbage in my life and yours has been imputed. It has been imputed and placed on the very back of the only perfect human being who ever lived. It means the one who we thought of as our king was first willing to become our servant. It means that he has borne our sorrows on his back and he carried them all the way to a pathetic, disgraceful, cruel, humbling cross placed between two scoundrels And there, he died in my place. He surely is king. But he's not your king until he is your savior. And he cannot be your savior until your sin and mine has been imputed on his back to his life. That's how you are saved from that judgment. That God allows that sin that I had in my life, and I believed Jesus was coming, and I looked forward to that, but I was not saved because I, it had not dawned on me clearly how all of the garbage in my life and the sin in my life that God was willing to take all of that And put that on the back of sinless Jesus, who wore it all the way up to the cross and then died over it. 
And then, when that happens, when, when that acknowledgement, when that hit me, I wanted to cry like a baby. I could not believe that a God in heaven who is king, who created all of this universe, there's not one inch of this ground that does not belong to Jesus. Everything in this place belongs to Jesus. And to think that he was willing to take my garbage onto his back so that I could have peace with God the Father and justice could be made. When I saw that I was responsible for that, it just humbled me. I just, I just wanted to cry like a baby and say, God, I didn't, I didn't get that at first with the Bible stories mom and dad were teaching me. I mean, I heard him say it, but I didn't get it. I get it today. I get it. Man, that was bad. Boy, that's not just servant. That's suffering servant for me. I know people, and so do you, who are waiting to become better people before they look to religion in Jesus Christ. Do you know anybody like that? So I'm thinking about coming to church one day, but I want to get better first. There's a couple things I want to take care of, and I just don't want to feel bad about it when I go to church, whatever. That, my friends, is waiting in the wrong direction. That's waiting in the wrong direction. Uh, usually those people are not here to hear this kind of truth, which is what they need to hear. So you need to get, you know, you need to point them to the internet and have them listen or buy the DVD or whatever so that you can slip it in somewhere in there so that they can hear this. That's waiting in the wrong direction for life to come to an end. If you're hearing my voice today and you are meaning to do better, then come to faith in Jesus Christ. You can't get better without Jesus. You can't get better. You can improve some, but you can't get better. I know people, and so do you, like that. Until your sin has been imputed to the back of the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, he can never be your king. He can never be your king. By designed agreement, I'm closed with this thought, by designed agreement between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the creation of man and woman, King Jesus has planned to wear your sin and mine on the cross so that by that imputation, God's justice is accomplished. But guess what? That only brings us to even. All that does is balance the budget. They just balanced it out. What we then qualify for is Christ's imputed righteousness back to me and to you. The kingship that is his becomes yours and mine. And we, by his power and by his authority, now become righteous before God, who no longer sees our sin but sees his son in me. (laughs) That's what made the difference. It didn't make me perfect, as I'm sure you all know, nor you as well. But his righteousness was imputed to me when I allowed God to take my garbage and put it on his back, and I believed in him. Stand with me.
But would you stand with me in a spirit of, of prayer as I close? Because, I don't know, uh, you know, there's something for all of us to think about, uh, hopefully, in this message, about our rhythms and how we're looking in the wrong direction sometimes on stuff. And it's ways for us to take stock during this time of the year and be thankful for Christ. But probably the most important piece is, is do you know him? Have you come to that realization that anything and everything that is less than God's desire for your life and mine is what's keeping us from fellowship with God? And that Jesus came and he wore some ugly stuff that he did not deserve. And God allowed that to be imputed onto his shoulders, onto his back. And he bore it to the cross. Friend, you know, I was eight years old when, I, when that finally hit me. I'm telling you, there's probably somebody out there this has hit you for the first time because you hadn't heard it explained quite like that. And if it's hitting you, I promise you, that is God loving you. That is God calling you to himself. That is God saying he desires to take everything in there that you may be ashamed of and he is willing to put it on his own son and accept that as payment. And in return, he will impute the righteousness, the goodness, the power, the authority of Christ back into your life and mine. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I wonder if there isn't maybe several people that would be honest with God. I'm not going to ask you to go anywhere, but I am going to ask you to be honest with God and say, I I hadn't heard that, hadn't understood that. And I, I, I want that forgiveness for my life. And I really do believe in Jesus. And I want God to know that this morning, that I'm thankful for it and that I need him. Would you slip your hand up quickly and just slip it up and so I can see it. God bless you. Others, quickly. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Now, I want to say a prayer for you. And one of the things that you need to do is don't just let this slide by. But reach out to somebody. We have pastors and we have leaders here. They'll be glad for you to grab them by the arm sometime. Call them on the phone and say, I'd like to have a cup of coffee with you. Got some questions on how to get going in this life. Father in heaven, it's been a great morning. Thank you so much for your word of truth. Thank you that we can be waiting in the wrong direction sometimes and get a great surprise that not only was it not the, maybe the best way to think about it, but the fact of the matter is in this case, neither one of those is wrong. We get both of them. We get a king and we get a servant who helps us. And that's how we need to be. And so thank you for this first Sunday of Advent. We're so thankful for Jesus. Help those who raise their hands today, Lord, that they might grow in a relationship with you. And then help us, Lord, as we go through these days and weeks, that we will examine the rhythms of our lives and see if there isn't something you would like better for us to be doing with our time and our energy for you. We love you. Give us a great week in the Lord. Father, bless us. Keep us from the enemy. And all of God's people said together, amen and praise the Lord. God bless you. Have a great week.